Walk me through uh, your latest, sir, on this on the breaking the narrative of the vax. Yeah, sure. No problem, Steve. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, my team and I are meeting today to discuss what I'm going to discuss today before we put it on our website. But the bottom line is this. There's a, a very uh, distinct relationship between disabilities and the vaccine uptake. Uh, since February of 21, uh, the uh, employed population of our country has been basically poisoned. That's what the numbers suggest. And the uh, correlation in the increase in disability rate is about 0.90 for 16 to 64 in the employed civilian labor force. Um, it's less of a correlation for over 65. It's about 0.6. That makes sense because the disability rate of the civilian labor force is much lower. So what we're seeing is basically since the release of the vaccines, a huge um, uh, increase in the disabilities, the disability rates of particularly the employed of the country. And the, the numbers just keep getting worse and worse. So uh, we'll be dropping this, this stuff soon, probably today or tomorrow on our website. Uh, so people can read it and analyze. Could it. there be any other? That's a pretty. That's a pretty harsh. When you say poisoned the working, uh, uh, the working population, that's a pretty tough charge. Could there be anything else in your mind that could cause have caused this correlation, sir? Sure. So obviously, uh, cor- uh, correlation is not causation. But in the absence of any other expl- explanation. At a base minimum, there's a health crisis in this country. Something's going on that's causing the employed of our country to experience disabilities at a, at a much higher rate than the rest of the general population. So until someone can explain to me that there's a new virus that only goes out to the employed that work in corporations with mandates or mid-sized companies with mandates, I'd, I'd love to hear that. And I'll uh, definitely take that under consideration. But in my humble opinion, and I told Senator Ron Johnson this uh, privately, this is a national security concern. Bottom line. Ed, hang on. I want to go back. Dow, the, 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 you're a Wall Street guy, right? You're an investor. You're a trader. Um, but you, because you guys are always looking for anomalies in the data. You first got attracted to this a couple of years ago when we first started having you on the show. And your first thing was about the, the difference in the mortalities. I want you to go back about your original theory of the case and what has been proven over time by the math. And then I want to go to these disabilities again before we, before you lose yourself. So tell me about your original theory of the case on the, on the increased mortality that you wrote the great uh, book about for Tony Lyons and the team over at Skyhorse. Yeah, so, you know, what got me interested in this was the sudden athletic deaths and anecdotes in my friend's circle when the vaccine was introduced in 21. Statistically, if the vaccine was safe, I shouldn't be hearing about anything. That's a normal vaccine that's been vetted for seven to 10 years normally before it's stuck in the arms of people. So I got me interested. Uh, Dr. Malone came to the island. I became affiliated with him. He got my media profile up and I told him and others I was going to look at the insurance data. Had a Wall Street analyst, Josh Sterling, uh, help me uh, analyze that. He's now public doing his own thing, trying to get the insurance industry to admit there's a problem. And uh, in August of this year, all our numbers that we you know, previewed on your show were um, uh, ratified by the Society of Actuaries with their uh, survey of the group life policyholders, which showed 40% excess mortality for ages 25 through 64 in 2021 versus the general population of uh, 32%. Why that's interesting is because the, the group life policyholders have been proven in previous studies to be a much healthier population. They die at a, a, in a normal non-pandemic year, they die at a 30 to 40% 
mortality rate of the general U.S. population in any given year. That makes sense. They're employed. They're showing up to work. They're healthy. They have access to the best health care. They're educated, what have you. That flipped in 21, continues to flip in 2022. Uh, the the um, millennials experienced a, a very big increase into the third quarter of 2021, an 84% spike when the mandates were introduced. That's come off subsequently. And as of Q2, their excess mortality by uh, in the group life subset, the side of actuary numbers is 23%. Unfortunately, I have um, inside um, uh, skinny on what might be coming up for the third quarter of this year. It looks like it may reaccelerate to 30 to 35%. The numbers aren't completely calculated, but that's what it looks like. So that's what got me interested. So then I hooked up with some guys from Portugal who were starting a hedge fund, PhD physicist. We've now uh, looked at the data, and basically every European country, the UK, Australia, uh, obviously the US, and uh, we're going to do Canada soon. And it's the same story. There was a mixed shift of excess mortality in 2020 to 2021 from old to young. And uh, the disabilities is just an extension, our analysis of that. But, 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 but hang on for a second. The, 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 even the deceleration in the number, in the increase in the number, would somehow coincide, because I want people to understand, Denmark and certain countries that were the most adamant about everybody vaxxed and the big Wall Street firms who are in the information business. That when you cut down Goldman Sachs and uh, and and BlackRock and uh, and Morgan Stanley, their basic business is the information business. So they're supposed to be to get it earlier and to be able to monetize it quicker and smartly. So I think Goldman Sachs and and, and Morgan Stanley and other investment banks and people started to get away from the absolute ironclad mandatory vaccinations they started to ease up somewhat on that yeah so morgan stanley and goldman sachs this summer quietly uh dispensed with their vaccine mandate uh made some headlines but not not a lot of fanfare i you know i I know that nomura uh japanese bank has done the same thing so you know it's it's quietly uh going on on wall street and you gotta remember morgan stanley and goldman sachs led the charge they they uh mandated vaccines ahead of the executive order in the summer of 2021. So they led corporate America. In fact, if you were a CEO of a company and wanted to raise capital and go into the offices of Morgan Stanley, uh, you couldn't enter their offices unless you were vaccinated. That's that's how draconian they were in 2021. Has the Have you noticed around the world, as this evidence is becoming irrefutable, uh, that you're seeing the countries, whether it's England, Denmark, others, quietly without a lot of fanfare, start to, 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 to back off this. And even the Biden administration didn't put up a big fight. And, and, and a lot of the hardcore biomedical industry people on, on MSNBC were going nuts. They didn't put up a big fight on taking off the, 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 uh, the, the mandate for the military going forward. And if this was all supposed to be so life or death, they just kind of walked away from that. Ed Dowd. Yeah, Denmark, Denmark is the classic example. They were the most highly vaccinated countries and uh, as I was writing my book, Cause Unknown, uh, we were looking, my team and I were looking at the Denmark excess mortality, and it was such a disaster. They had excess mortality, uh, 21 above 20, 22 above 21 in every age cohort. So it was devastating Denmark. And Denmark, in uh, September, while I was writing the book, uh, banned the vaccine for under 50 and said, basically, it's uh, better to get COVID than uh, the vaccine, which is... Orwellian doublespeak for uh, your chances of living are better with the uh, COVID virus and the vaccine itself. So that's that's what's going on. It's a quiet Homer Simpson back backing into the hedgerow uh, 
uh, saying dough. The disability numbers, you will p- come out with those in the next couple of days after you talk to your team? Is yeah, that we can... Either, either today or tomorrow. The, the dis- so just to give you an idea of the number, uh, I said on your show a couple of weeks ago and to Senator Ron Johnson, it was about 1.2 million we had calculated as of September 22nd. Uh, it's now about 1.7 million uh, starting in February of 21 through November of uh, 22. 1.7 million employed people have become disabled. And uh, that's a big number. That's a huge number. And we're even looking at this in a different way. We're looking at this relative to those not in the labor force. Those people, those individuals who decided to get fired or leave their job and not take the vax. And relative uh, to that number, the the change in disability rate, rate of new disabilities for the the employed population is about 553% above not in labor force. And the civilian labor force is about 435% above not in labor force. So what we're doing is we're looking at those individuals who decided to pay attention to their health and leave and not work versus those who stayed employed. So I've been saying this ad nauseum for the last two months. It's been detrimental to your health to be employed in 21 and 22. And I say that in my book as well, Cause Unknown. Cause Unknown uh, from Skyhorse. We can get it on Amazon. You go to the Skyhorse site. How do people follow you? By the way, if you're ever surprised every day you pick up the paper, died suddenly, died suddenly, these athletes, media figures, people in entertainment, uh, died suddenly, heart attack, blood clot, huh, what? Read causes Unknown, Cause Unknown uh, by Ed Dowd. Ed, how do people follow you on social media? Because they got to you. You're putting up great stuff all day long. Still banned on Twitter, uh, on Getter, and Ed <laughs> <laughs> at Edward Dowd, uh, and uh, I have a, a personal website, BaylidePeopleDied.com, and I also you can check out the Humanity Project at FinanceTechnologies.com, spelled P-H-I rather than F, where we basically have all the evidence of all the crimes, and the disability data will be there soon. Ed, uh, you're a hero and a patriot for this, and I hope the GIMP, Elon Musk, I call him the GIMP. I hope the GIMP understands is not going to be taken real until Miles Guo, Ed Dowd, and other people up there are on Twitter nonstop. Thank you, sir. Honored to have you on here. Thank you, Steve. Dr. Paul Alexander, here's the question. You put forward your theory of the case is that Donald J. Trump was now we know from Twitter about the coup of the FBI and the national security state. And now you're starting to get the Fauci. You're going to start getting these dumps. But they're guys, Taibbi and these guys who are good, good guys and working hard, but not really experts in this field. You make the case in your book that Donald J. Trump, there was a coup against him by the biomedical security apparatus in Washington, D.C. in Big Pharma. Is that I just want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. Is that correct? Is that your theory of the case? Yes, yes, Steve. And uh, the reality about it, and thanks again for having me on your show, Seasons Greetings. The reality about it is Trump was on a fast track to re-election. We were seeing it in the internal polls very early in 2020. Unstoppable. He was going to win most states, electoral votes, etc. But something happened post-March from those lockdowns and school closures. And what Fauci and Burks did was they extended them and they lengthened them. And they used that to damage his presidency and damage his re-election. And, and I worked with people there. And because I think it's because of my island background, they thought that I was a Democrat, really. They confided with me 
in me with things that was, that, was, that was shocking to me that they literally said that they worked at CDC, NIH, FDA, NIAID, the deep state, there really is one, a bureaucratic deep state, to work against Trump on a day-to-day -day basis to make his messaging ungovernable, unmanageable, and devastating. And they did it. President Trump was not reelected. Let me ask you, in, in March is when they came with the lockdowns. You had the big Burks. Um, yes. Uh, and, and, and you've had um, Kushner's book come out and you've had Pence's book come out. As you've read those two books compared to yours, wh wh where, where are the differences? Because you make a case that Fauci, uh, Fauci and Burks were connected at the hip on this. Since they reported to Pence and to Kushner, who kind of give glowing reviews of these two, why are you why are you the why are you the outlier in this? Well, I mean, the reality about it is I had a different view than most. Remember, I was working at HHS. Fauci and they, um, Redfield, Hahn, they all had sub offices in my building and they all trips in and out of my boss's offices daily. So I had privilege. I mean, there are things that I could never speak about, but I had the privilege of listening on many of their conversations. And I can tell the fight by President Trump against Fauci and Burks, against the CDC. President Trump was fighting the CDC and the teachers' unions behind the scenes, literally, to open schools because of the deaths, the suicides in young kids that we were seeing rolling up to the states. And Fauci and Burks conspired. Remember, Steve, I was actually marked to be fired by Fauci and his team because I wrote to the NIH and Fauci that you are flat wrong. You are wrong to keep schools closed. You are wrong to mask kids. And the message came back to me through Washington that we are going to fire you. We are going to cut your nuts off for going after Fauci. The real fight was between me and Fauci behind the scenes. I was waging that with Scott Atlas against Fauci and the NIH and CDC. Yes, it was a battle. President Trump is not president today because of the lockdowns and school closures that Fauci and Burks maintained, prolonged, and ensured. They worked against him. Burks said that in her book. She said, I slow walk data, I withheld data. This, is a very, this must be investigated by Jim Jordan, by Senator Johnson, these people must be. Dr. Alexander, hang on. We're gonna take a short commercial break. The book is Presidential Takedown how Anthony Fauci, the CDC, NIH, and the WHO conspired to overthrow President Trump. Now, we've got about five or six minutes here, Dr. Alexander. There was a meeting in March that both the, the Kushner book and particularly the Pence book, and Pence was head of the task force, talks about in the Oval Office where they presented at least one chart to convince President Trump to, to do the lockdowns. To your knowledge uh, and to your direct knowledge, was, was there other analysis done that you be, would believe, if presented to President Trump at that moment in mid-March, would have convinced him that the lockdowns were not necessary at the time? Because remember, the lockdowns to, 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 what, to flatten the curve were about ICU, capacity of ICU beds throughout the country. I think there are 100,000 beds, ICU. It was to make sure that we had capacity to handle other diseases and wouldn't overwhelm the medical system. Do you have direct knowledge there was other data at the time that should have been presented to President Trump that would have actually told him, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this? Thanks, Steve. Once again, listen, 
from what I understand and what I know, President Trump's gut feelings, gut, his own thinking was not to lock down, not to close anything. But you see, here's the key that the public needs to understand. President Trump also understood from an optics point of view that he's not a doctor, he's not a scientist. Very smart, brilliant guy, Wharton educated, brilliant. The problem, though, is for him to stand against what these scientists were telling him. And that was his problem. His problem was he was going to go against Fauci and books that he inherited. So he, had, he trusted them. That's a very important thing. He trusted their counsel. And he gave them the lead on the lockdowns. And that hurt him, that trust. Because of the reality, Steve, is this. Very early on, we, maybe two weeks out from the lockdowns, we had data accumulating across the world that the asymptomatic transmission uh, statements were alive. We had data showing us that COVID was amenable to risk stratification with a 1,000-fold difference in risk between 85-year-old Granny and 10-year-old Johnny. We knew at that point that the mortality rate was not 3.4% that Tedros at WHO had said to spook the world. We knew the infection fatality rate was already below 1%. So we knew it was at seasonal influenza or even below. And the reality about it is they spooked Trump principally, Steve, with the flawed, fraud PCR test. It is that PCR test with those infections daily that they were putting up on those charts on the task force podium that was spooking Trump and spooking all of us because they were showing us infection. But they knew that the PCR was overcycled over 24, 25. Once you cycle that test, and it's a process, it's not a test, over 24, you are going to get up as much as 95% false positive. I am trying to tell the American people, Fauci and Burks locked the society down in 2020 and parts of 2021 with 95%. 95% of you who were taken out of the workforce, taken out of schools, businesses shut down. That's why... So many committed suicide. It was false positives. That's the issue. It must be investigated. They knew, they knew they were defrauding Trump with that fraud PCR test. Because today, John Ioannidis at Stanford shows that the infection fatality is 0.05 per person 70 and below. We should have never, ever, ever locked the society down. We had early treatments. We had effective treatments. The McCollum, they were telling Trump, telling them, this is what will work. Do not lock the society. Open up. Protect the vulnerable. Protect granny in the nursing home. Protect her, yes. But let the rest of society live freely. No school closures. Listen, Sweden, Sweden operated with zero school closures, zero masks for all their children and not one death. Targeted interventions for those that had chronic yes, or had uh, com comorbidities. Well, la one last thing that we've harped on, I want to hear from you. <clears throat> the chart they put up was a mortality chart on, on projections. And yeah. one of the things we kept hammering on is that they were going to the University of Washington, Seattle. They were going to, I think, Southampton University in in England, and they were going to Hong Kong. Many, uh, and I think Johns Hopkins, people were putting up their own modeling. Did you? And I kept asking, is this like a company? Why, why don't I see Fauci's model? Why don't I see Burks's model? Why don't we see CDC? I'd like to see the government's model, not their assessment of this kind of blended, like a real clear politics poll. We only got a minute. 
Did you ever see by firsthand any internal modeling that they actually did on their own that was different from just taking compilations or looking at third-party modeling on mortality, sir? No. And the thing is, Burke said in her book, we knew once we got Trump to bite for the first two weeks, we, we got him. We know we'll get him to extend. Once he closes down, it's over. They knew what they were doing. And you are correct. There's no government modeling. These people are the most inept people, non-consequential. I don't understand how they got to the positions, Fauci and Burks, that they did to lead this pandemic. And they were depending on the imperial modeling. These are corrupted, man-made, bogus political models meant to deceive the public. Uh, Steve, no lockdown in the United States and the world work. No school closure. We did the science. We did the research. Every single thing, Fauci and Burks, and that task was it failed. Dr. Arzana, we got a bolt. How do people get to the book and how do they get to you on social media, sir? Well, the book is at uh, Amazon, uh, similar to Ed Dowd, etc. Um, it's called Presidential Takedown. You can get it at Amazon. Um, how Fauci et al. worked to topple President Trump. I have my substack at uh, Co- Alexander COVID News. I'm supporting the wellness company that helps right now. And you could also find me at drpaulalexander.com. Steve, once again, Doc- say hello to Vish and your team. Merry Christmas. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dr. Paul Alexander, hero and patriot. We've asked Carrie Late to come on. Carrie, we had Todd Bensman on. It looks like reports are coming out that Title 42 may be lifted. In fact, the Biden regime on Friday night, late, uh, when uh, so much of the, uh, the, the topic of conversation was your lawsuit, in this uh, in this obviously stolen election in Arizona, they dumped on Friday night late that November was the worst month, I think, in the history of the country as far as uh, as far as the illegal invasion of our country uh, with over, I think, 200,000 more and 150,000 or 75,000 to 100,000 getaways. So just horrific numbers, which October, November combined are, are worse than actually a year. What is your sense in the great state of Arizona is what's going to happen, whether it's tonight the Supreme Court does it or tomorrow night or in the next couple of days. What is going to happen to the great state of Arizona uh, when uh, the uh, Title 42 is lifted and remain in Mexico is uh, is not enforced, ma'am? Oh, the floodgates are going to open up. I mean, we know how bad it is here because we're suffering under Joe Biden's policies and a lack of leadership here in Arizona to take control of the border, which we have a right to do under the U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10. But we don't have uh, anybody in our government who's willing to do that and protect the people. We are going to see the floodgates open wide up. We're going to open wide and we're going to see people pour in like we've never seen before. And watch as we watch the drug addiction and the drug overdoses go even higher. You talked about the numbers, Steve, that you just got. November was the worst month. Wait until we see the new numbers on fentanyl overdoses, which is taking out a generation of young people. That's going to skyrocket. The cartels control Arizona. The voters went to the ballot box in November because they're fed up. And the only way to stop me from stopping the cartels was to steal an election. It's all intertwined. And we're going to watch crime 
go through the roof, even higher than it is, we're going to watch people literally in shock when they see what happens to this great state of Arizona. If they think it's bad now with the southern invasion at our border, it's going to get only worse here in real short order. Like within, I think, 24 hours of them lifting this, we'll see big changes. I, I want to make sure the global audience that watches the show understands something with Carrie Lake. I mean, with uh, with Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs is running, and one of the people on her ticket was actually a lawyer for the cartel, right, who ran for Secretary of State, who would be managing the elections in the future, was a, was a lawyer for the cartels. Your your message was so powerful that Abbott immediately said, oh, I'm going to declare an invasion on the southern border, too. I'm going to declare now. Was I'm going to declare an invasion on the southern border. And Ducey started putting back up the Mack trucks down the border. He was so humiliated by what you did. Is there any doubt in your mind that Katie Hobbs is by far the most radical person ever to seek office in the United States, high office, about the sovereignty of the country and the sovereignty of the states that she would purport to lead, ma'am? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's more radical than Gavin Newsom. And she's more dangerous because I don't think she's got a high IQ. I don't think she even realizes what the heck's going on on the border. And she has no policy to change it. Her policy is to pour more money in down there to help uh, uh, bring in more people and, and deal with the crowds of people coming over. Rather than stop it, turn people around and say, do not enter. We're taking back control of the border. She is going to be a controlled, somebody who's in office, who is controlled by people above her, and they're going to be calling the shots. She will be a puppet. And she has zero plans. She wouldn't even appear on a debate stage and respect the people of this state enough to tell them what her plans are. It's despicable. And this is the reason they had to steal the election. They had to rig the election in broad daylight. They didn't care, Steve, how obvious it was. They didn't care that people who were standing in line could see right before their eyes that this election was being stolen. That is how dangerous I am to their plan to keep this state run by the cartels. At any level, they had to make sure that I could not win so that they could continue their, with their assault on the people of Arizona with a wide open border, with the cartels in control, pushing drugs across, trafficking people, trafficking children. It is absolutely appalling. And this state is going to go to hell in a handbasket if Katie Hobbs is allowed to take control. This is also why she's now calling for sanctions on you. You've contested this election and really a very well, tightly argued case, which I think has huge grounds for appeal. And they took out the signature verification, which is probably the biggest aspect of it, she's calling now for sanctions on you personally, right, to, to shut down your yeah. voice? I'm just looking through. Uh, it's almost comical. I mean, I, I, if I didn't laugh, I'd probably pull my hair out because of the insanity of what they did on Election Day to sabotage our sacred vote. And now they're trying to sanction me to pay for their lawyers. This is outrageous. The, the judge, by the mere fact that he allowed this case to go forward, he looked at our lawsuit, he allowed two of the counts to go forward, shows that it had merit. Hobbs has absolutely no respect for the law. I can't even believe that she didn't recuse herself from this uh, botched election. And I now see why. She didn't even campaign. She didn't debate. She hid from people, hid in her basement, had no policy because she knew that she could rig the election and walk into office. And I'm telling you what, Steve, if we don't get serious about turning our elections around and restoring order and reforming them, we're not going to have a country much longer. You said we're 45 seconds to midnight. When it comes to our country, that's exactly where we are. 
if we have rigged elections. And the fact that they want to say I had no merit with this lawsuit, I am standing up for the people of this state, the people who were done wrong on election day, and the millions of people who live outside of Maricopa County, whose vote was watered down by this bogus election in Maricopa County. The people of Arizona want me to stand up for them and get some answers as to what happened in our election. We really should have our elected officials doing that. Where is the governor? Why is he not standing up? Where are all these elected officials? Why are they not standing up to the way these elections are run, where they're changing the ballot on election day to sabotage our vote? Yeah. It's outrageous. Mar- and I won't Maricopa- stop. If they think this Marico- will make me stop, they're wrong. Mar- Maricopa County, it's a global situation. Just ask the 40,000 dead women and children in Ukraine and the people taking the incoming shelling today in eastern Ukraine. Ask right. the people in Taiwan in the South China Sea. Ask them right now how important Maricopa County was to changing the direction of this country. Ask the people in the Rio Grande Valley or the people in New York City where the mayor is asking for a billion-dollar bailout. Where do we stand right now in the process? Walk our audience through. What do you say you're not going to give up? What, how does that manifest itself today? Well, really quickly, what you just said, all of these things are interconnected. And when we have rigged elections, Steve, this is the results. We're on the verge of a world war. We've got inflation that's out of control. We have a border that's wide open, shockingly wide open, about to get worse. We've got drugs falling into our children's hands. We have outrageous things being taught to our children in school. This is the result of stolen elections. It started even before 2020. We've got to get control of our elections. We're going to appeal this. We've sent our response uh, when it comes to the sanction. We've sent our response over to the judge. And uh, we think that there's we had absolute merit with this lawsuit. And we're going to appeal it and take it even higher. Because we believe that if we can even get some of these other counts, you mentioned the signature verification. If the good people of Arizona saw what constituted a fair signature on these mail-in ballots, I guarantee you, they would stand up and say no more mail-in ballots. It is outrageous what they let go through as a real signature. Nobody in their right mind, if you were blind in one eye and half blind in the other, you would not have approved these signatures. And they're letting them go through by the tens of thousands. Uh, in, as far as the process goes, are you going to appeal this week? Because I think uh, the inauguration yes. would be next week. So it'll be, you're going to appeal this week? We're appealing this week. As a matter of fact, right before I came on, I was on the phone with my attorney. I'm going to call him as soon as I'm done here, and we're going to work through uh, our appeal plan. You know, this is a, a shortened window. That's why the the trial came on so quickly, and we only had two days to prove our case. We had hundreds. We had we had a thousand documents for the judge to go over. Hundreds of pages for him to look through. He told us he was going to look through those before he made his ruling. We had uh, all kinds of witnesses who worked with MCTEC, who talked about a, a lack of chain of custody, who talked about a lack of signature verification. We have so much evidence in this case. We wish we could have presented it to show the whole world in court. But we only had five hours to make our case, which is very unfortunate for the people of Arizona. Uh, Carrie, how do people uh, get to you on social media and how do they get to you uh, for the continued support in this fight? 
Thank you. Uh, you can go to at Carrie Lake. I'm on Getter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, you know, all of the usual truth, all of that. And go to Save Arizona Fund, F-U-N-D. We could use help. Our attorneys are, are, are working really hard and we have to pay them. And patriots are stepping forward to help pay for this case. They want to see us take this all the way to the Supreme Court. We intend to continue fighting because we know we're in the right on this and we won't stop. So thank you, Steve want everybody to go check it out. Also, her Getter and Twitter account, I can verify, is a little spicy. So it's worthwhile uh, logging in. To, to you got to go to our War Room account. Carrie <laughs> Lake War Room. Carrie Lake War Room is quite spicy. Carrie, thank you very much for joining us here on the Thanks. day after Boxing Day. I want to bring in Frank Gaffney. Increased shelling this morning. So over the weekend, uh, Putin comes out and says, hey, we all got to get to the table. Let's get all the parties. Uh, the foreign minister of, uh, of the Ukraine uh, comes out and says, hey, uh, we've got 10 items. We're prepared to come to the table. We should do it at the U.N. We got 10 items, including there should be war criminal tribunals. You got to give back to uh, Crimea. You got to I mean, they're they're, they're not. Uh, you you can't re- probably meet any of these, but at least they're saying we're prepared to come to the table. The uh, Lavrov said, hey, uh, we've got a list of demands, too. And if they don't meet our demands, we're going to let our artillery determine this. And nobody better for field artillery than the Russians, as they've proven time and again. And they are unloading right now in eastern Ukraine. It is back to World War One type um, grinded out. Frank Gaffney. Uh, as disturbingly, because we're the de-escalationist in uh, the war room is, de-escalationist in Ukraine to focus on our southern border. But it's quite scary. Uh, you, the Committee on the Present Danger, many of my best contacts throughout says there's something that's a little uneasy now about Taiwan and the ramp up of this kinetic show of force of the Chinese Communist Party. What say you, sir? Well, I'd like to come back to uh, the Chip Roy question with you, but for starters, let's just say, I think it's no accident, comrade, as the communists like to say, Steve, that you've got things hotting up in Ukraine at the very moment that the Chinese look as though they could go for it at any moment. And this is one of the most important takeaways from the analysis that our Committee on the Present Danger of China has been doing for about four years now, by the way, um, is the Chinese have inexorably enhanced their ability to essentially go from a standing start to some kind of operation against Taiwan. It could be just a blockade. That's that's relatively easy. It could be fifth column operations supported by special operators, um, not out of the question by any means. It could, though I'm afraid, involve much more far-reaching attacks than just on Taiwan. Um, We see a very high altitude aerial surveillance platform over the Philippines at the moment, staring down at Subic Bay, where we might be restoring our presence, something you remember from the old days. Um, But uh, whether it's South Korea, which is now getting um, a lot of uh, very annoying action from the North Koreans, or whether it's Japan, which is being threatened not only by the Chinese, by the way, but by the Russians and the Chinese in a series of uh, military uh, exercises clearly aimed at Japan and its islands, 
in close proximity to the uh, the islands of Japan. Maybe it's uh, uh, well Guam. How about that? Uh, maybe it's our carrier battle groups. Maybe it's uh, even Hawaii. Not least, Steve, because Chi Hao Chen, about 20 years ago, he was the defense minister of China, general officer, said in a closed meeting of party cadre, there's going to be a lot of talk about Taiwan, but the main enemy is the United States, and we're going to be acting against it. And they've got a lot of efforts underway, I think, to do just that. So this could go ugly very, very quickly. And I think that the point is, We've been saying for, you know, at least since April of 2021, there are specific things that we could do to make that a much less appetizing idea for the Chinese Communist Party. Um, by and large, none of them have been done. And as a result, I think that uh, especially with what's going on inside China, and you've been covering this relentlessly, it's the it's the the real estate catastrophe. It's the banking crisis. It's the demographic nightmare. It's the COVID thing. Now, you know, a horrific um, pandemic is burst out in the absence of their zero COVID policies. For all these reasons, I think she may well calculate that he needs to do some social engineering. And the way totalitarians do that is to get people focused on something else, uh, let, rally let, around let me, the flag, let, fight that foreign let, enemy. You, you, at the beginning, you said something that I want to make sure we're in sync here because it's quite disturbing. Um, with all the other geopolitical, because they're trying to control the Eurasian landmass, you saw Turkey now, looks like they've thrown in with Russia, Iran, uh, Pakistan, with the CCP on the on trying China. to consolidate the Eurasian landmass. Um, you've got, but you said relatively easily they could do an air and naval blockade. And, and mount a major fifth column. Remember, about a third of the Chinese population in Taiwan is pro-CCP. The old mm-hmm. Kuomintang, KMT Party is, you know, you had the guy Guo run who was, uh, who was uh, CCP, owns, uh, owns the big Apple contract uh, manufacturer. He's told CCP. Um, it, it, but if you said, is it that you think right now the Seventh Fleet could not break an air and naval blockade or that the political parties and the political pressure in Taiwan could not put down a fifth column. If you, if you think those two things are achievable, then this thing is 30, 45 seconds to midnight then on the clock. Am I incorrect in that assessment? Yeah. You know, I've, I've talked to you about the fact that I'm writing a book uh, that's pulling together a distilled essence of these 50 or so webinars that our Committee on the Present Danger China has been doing over the past few months. And and I didn't mention the single most important calculation by far, which is kind of the leading edge of this book. And that is, as our friend Sam Fattis says, the other calculation for Xi Jinping in all of this is Joe Biden is a controlled asset of the Chinese Communist Party. And when you've got that in play, on top of everything else, it doesn't matter how you know, powerful the Seventh Fleet is. It doesn't matter whether we've depleted our stocks of ammunition and everything else to help the Ukrainians. What matters is the calculation that Joe Biden is not going to do anything to stop the Chinese from taking Taiwan one way or another, or in all of the ways that I've mentioned. And I think that's the thing that is most alarming about all of this is they may well be right that Joe is going to be doing at their bidding, not what our national security interests require. 
You had uh, you took some umbrage with our uh, discussion of McCarthy and these deals he's trying to cut with. And I'm not saying Chipper is taking a deal, but and it's the Hill newspaper reporting it that the Church Commission. People have to understand the reason this is a big deal is the Church Commission was like an earthquake back in the 70s, and it resonated the whole gang of eight, the whole way that the House has access to to supposedly oversight of uh, direct action, covert action, things like this is, is, you know, have to do presidential findings. A whole system came in place after the church commission. So for people who don't know the history of it, it was massively powerful in what came out of it. We've advocated for years now a church commission, and, and people around Elon Musk are now picking it up. In the Hill newspaper today, it basically said that McCarthy has kind of conceded he's got to do that to have a church commission and even to put a fire breather, which the establishment, and when I say the establishment, the, the defense contractors, the the people that, uh, you know, are, are deep in bed with the intelligence apparatus, which has hundreds of billions of dollars of contracts. The last thing they want to see is a guy like a Chip Roy have a committee. Frank, you think there's more to say there, though? You're saying just don't, hey, f- forget Kevin McCarthy. You can cut better deals with people that are more focused, that will really have your back and, and get something done. Is is that your assessment? Well, look, I start from the premise that Kevin McCarthy would be a disaster as Speaker of the House. So I'm with those who are standing against him and hope that they will stay the course. The point is, once that happens, if he is defeated on that first ballot, you will have I think a number of people throwing their hats in the ring, and you can bet that every single one of them is going to be counting the votes, just as Kevin McCarthy is doing now, and making every deal that he has had on offer, I venture, and then some. And more to the point, if you want Chip Roy as the head of this committee, you want him to have the authority to really go at the problems that need to be investigated here. And I don't think that's going to happen under Kevin McCarthy any more than it happened under Paul Ryan with uh, Benghazi. Let me ask you about – it's a perfect example. Let me ask you – because Paul Ryan and McCarthy represent the center of the Republican Party that used to be, as you were in the Reagan administration in the Defense Department, to take down the evil empire. What is your argument against Kevin McCarthy given that you're the tip of the spear in really take down the CCP, sir? Well, I fear, you know, as I think you've been documenting, among others, that uh, if you didn't like uh, what I call the omnivorous bill, because it's eating everything in sight, including our currency, including our freedoms, the omnibus bill that I'm speaking of, well, then you're not going to like Kevin McCarthy, because Kevin McCarthy was behind getting that deal done. I mean, that's just the most recent example of a man not being trustworthy let alone conservative. And, you know, maybe you can get along if he's not really conservative, but at least he's a man of his word. And I don't think that's the case. I think the people who've worked with him over the years say, oh, he's a, he's a nice guy, but he's not a trustworthy guy. And we need both a trustworthy guy, honestly, at this moment, and a true conservative. Fr- Frank, that bill was set up, Mitch McConnell came out, that bill was set up to buy off, essentially, the Frank Gaffneys of the world in the old days. Hey, we got a 10% increase to the defense budget, and we're putting $80 billion into Ukraine. And the Frank Gaffneys, that, that wing of the party, are supposed to sit there and roll over and you know have your belly scratched and be happy. Is that not the case anymore? Look, there was something in it for everybody. That's how it got through. Um, the fact that they put the defense appropriations bills in it, 
appeal to some of us. But again, Steve, I, I commend you and, and the War Room for what you've done on this. There's a lot of bad stuff in that defense appropriations bill, uh, policy-wise and so on. And so, look, I think we've got to be looking at this. The challenge that I'm talking about is going to take a whole of society effort if we're going to survive the onslaught that the whole of society threat the Chinese Communist Party represents to us is going to be defeated. And I don't think, you know, having your particular piece of the big picture that satisfies you and you'll ignore the rest of it is going to work. We're going to have to pull together, but we're going to have to pull together, I think, on principled conservative grounds. And we need leadership that stands for that. For reasons you've just described, we don't have it in the United States Senate. And I think behind the scenes, we didn't have it with Kevin McCarthy in his present role, and we certainly won't have it in the future. Look, I, I'd like to think that any deal that he's going to make is going to be honored and that the prices are going to be very high for those deals. But I don't believe that's the man's character. I don't think that's what we're, we can reasonably expect from him were he to become the Speaker of the House. I don't think it's going to happen, Steve. I think our team needs to stand against it and then make deals with the next guy to get it done properly. Frank, how do people, particularly the seminars, you've had two a week, one about the inside, the inside game, the influence of the political war of the CCP, the people's political war against the United States from the in- inside, and the other is the external. Uh, how do people get to the seminars? How do they get to you at, at the Committee on the Present Danger? It's really easy. PresentDangerChina.org. Uh, we've got a sc- subscription there. Sign up for them. You'll get noticed. As, uh, we're, we're down to just one per week these days. But we're covering an enormous amount of material. And it's it's really vital. Everyone listening to this program, you're, you're way above average in terms of understanding this problem, thanks to the War Room. But you need to be deeply knowledgeable about it yeah. because of the danger that's now at hand. Yeah. No, but this is the dark valley of the 30s. We're heading, to, we're inexorably going to be drawn into a kinetic war because of weak leadership. Uh, Frank, thank you so much. Thank Honored you, to have you on here, brother. Thank you. We'll welcome. get everybody to go over there today. Just, just, just.